down and we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Greatness of His mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. Holy, 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 
want tonight. Man, we would we just want God to carve his word in our hearts. Amen. We would just want to reach out and claim the promises that he's he's given to us in his scripture. Amen. I don't know what's going on in your life, in your heart. Amen. I know many of us are dealing with issues. I'm dealing with my own. Amen. We just want to take this time and let go of things. Amen. Let's take advantage of being in the presence of the Lord. Amen. I just feel a sweet presence of of worship tonight. I I hope you'll just continue with me in that mode and just really enter in as we sing this next song. When I look into your holiness. When I look into your holiness. When I gaze into your loveliness. When all things that surround Come shadows in the light of you. And when I found the joy of reaching your heart, when my will becomes enthroned in your love, when all things that surround Become shadows in the light of you. Come on, all together now. Then I worship you. I worship you, oh Lord. The reason I live.
service and take some special needs before the Lord at this time. And I'm going to ask Brother Stephen, it's good to have him back with us. We're going to ask him to take these needs before the Lord if he'd be making his way forward. Man, we want to remember Brother Matt Cross uh, and his family in prayer. He's not with us tonight. Um, remember Brother Brother Donnie Reagan uh, and the Happy Valley Church and what they're going through at this time. Uh, if you would remember his daughter in prayer as well, Sister Erica, she needs a desperate touch from the Lord. Amen. We're going to continue to pray together and have faith for her complete healing. Amen. Have a request here for Sister uh, Karen's daughter, uh, Caitlin. I remember her in prayer and a special need they're going through. If you'd remember the McGarry family, they're not with us at this time. Also, I have a request here for the Hughes family. We don't see them, so we want to remember them in prayer. Amen. Uh, the Buchanan family has two requests. If you would remember Sister Shirley Buchanan, she's not feeling well. And also Sister Karen Buchanan in prayer. Amen. That's all the needs I have before me at this time. If you have unspoken prayer requests, wherever you are, if you're joining us by internet, We'll be praying with you. Just keep those needs on your heart as Brother Stephen comes. Amen. How many are happy to be in church tonight? You know, you may have had a uh, very difficult week. You may have had an average week. You may have had a good week. But the, um, the Scripture says... Um, to hold fast, to prove that which is good, but then to hold fast to it. And this, what we're doing right now, is something really good. So this right now, what we're doing, is something that you can hold on to. And you should hold fast to it. It's not something we should take for granted. It's something that's good, that's pleasing to the Lord. It's not only that, it's refreshing to us too. So let's bind our our hearts together in prayer just go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this good thing that you've given us. The ability to come into the house of the Lord and say, Father, I'm, I'm sorry. I love you. Help me through the rest of this week. Help me to get by. Thank you for a good week. Thank you for an average week. So for that, we thank you. And tonight, Father, we ask that you'd have the preeminence, the ability to move among our hearts and to bring both our hearts and our minds under subjection to the Word of God so that we can be encouraged, we can learn, we can be instructed. May we humble ourselves enough to be so. Lord, we ask that you'd speak to us just in a special way. But these needs that have been brought before you, Lord, the many who are struggling with the virus, many who are 
struggling with other illnesses, you said that you were the Lord that heals all of our diseases. And so we bind our faith together on that promise. We place it before your throne on behalf of these people. We believe that you'll move. Lord, the many unspoken prayer requests, we lay them before you. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. So, Lord, we ask that you move on behalf of, uh, of the many unspoken needs and those that uh, are away, those that are not here. Pray that your presence, the sweetness of the presence in this room, would also be with them. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask for the blessing of the minister as he comes forth. In your name do we pray and do we ask these things. Amen. 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 Thank you, Brother Stephen. You can have your seats. Certainly don't mean to keep you standing so long. Hope you'll forgive me. Amen. Maybe we could sing a few songs before the minister comes forward. His strength is perfect. Key of F, I believe. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But sometimes I wonder what He can do through me. No great success to show.
tonight. We're going to invite our pastor to come. Amen. Remember to be faithful in your tithing. We're not taking up uh, in the sanctuary as we used to do. Just be aware there's a place in the back to place your tithes and offerings. Amen. To support the ministry. Let's sing together as our pastor comes through it all. Amen. Trust in God. 
Father, as we approach your throne of grace and mercy tonight, it's always a humbling feeling, Lord, to know that you're actually handling the word of life, the word that has been brought to us in this last day in such a clear and vindicated way. We ask now that you would just quicken the word and make it live to us. Only you can do that, Lord. We can speak it, we can study it, we can put it together, present it, but only you can quicken it and make it real to our hearts. But Lord, we just don't want to have more knowledge. We want to have this word touch us in such a way that it turns into a life that we cannot help but live in this dark world. We pray now that you would just minister to each and every soul that's gathered here tonight just for this little time of refreshing, this little oasis from the busyness and the dryness of this life. We pray also, Lord, for those who are sick and those who need your touch. We think of Sister Rachel tonight, Lord, and ask, oh God, that you would just continue to bind up her wounds, Lord, and help her to be completely well and strong. We commit her and Peter and your family into your hands, Lord. Speak to us tonight, we pray, Lord. Minister especially to those ministers and their families, Lord, that really need your help and touch tonight. We just want to say we love you. and We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we have to be together. And, Lord, forgive us of our, our sins, our weaknesses, Lord, things that we may have done wrong that may have grieved the Holy Spirit. We invite you now, Lord Jesus, to move among us in a close and personal way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's have you take your Bible, if you don't mind, and we're going to go to the book of Second Chronicles. Good to have all of you here tonight, and um, just a blessing to see each and every one, and may the Lord richly bless you. We're going to do a little Bible study tonight, so take your Bible in Second Chronicles, and we're going to also look in the book of First Kings. So uh, there's going to be two places that we're going to be reading from. I've got markers in both of mine, and uh, if you want to look that. But first we'll read in Second Chronicles chapter 15. This is the character of Kings, and this is the fourth one that we've done in this little series here. Second Chronicles chapter 15. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed, and he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now for a long season, Israel had been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when they are, when they, uh, sorry, when they in trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. And in those times, there was no peace to him that went out nor to him that came in, but great vexation were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. And nation was destroyed of nation, city of city, for God did vex them with all adversity. Be strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Now this is the prophet speaking to Asa. And then it says in verse 8, And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, he took courage. And he put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. And may the word be blessed tonight in your hearing. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord today. 
Good to be in the house of the Lord. Good to see all of you today. And uh, just wanted to say to you that we are uh, just excited about some of the things that are um, um, moving and, and we're getting uh, translations out there. But two books today that went to uh, uh, overseas for printing. And uh, there are four books that we're doing for Zambia at the moment. And then there's another four um, that are going into Tanzania. And uh, the, the, the ones that are going into Tanzania are compilations of three sermons in one book. And that's why Brother Hildebrandt was pre- printing them for a long time. And so we're doing that for Brother Elias. He's already, they're already translated. He's already sent me groups of three. So we're sending those over uh, into China now to get done. And in Zambia now they're uh, getting the Church Age book, the Seals book, Daniel 70 Weeks, and Adoption. So they're very excited about uh, having those uh, books over there. I, I just kind of like this picture. This is great. This is one of the young ministers over there, and he's volunteered to pass out the books to the people and uh, very excited. These books will cost roughly uh, in the $30,000 range probably by the time they get there and, and printing quantities of each one, and they're going to hold them all in China until they get them all done and then they're going. Uh, we have books now that are going, that have arrived in Mexico, books that are on the way to Honduras, they're on the boat, and we have books next that are going into Colombia. I'm really hoping to make a connection with Colombia because if I can meet a brother there who roasts coffee, I'd like to be able to get some. So we're working hard for the saints in Colombia, let me assure you. Well, it's certainly good to have the Irish family back. We have missed you all, and may the Lord richly bless you. Good to have you here tonight, and uh, each and every one. We, uh, we appreciate all of you, all of you, and uh, it's just great to have you here. Well, let's take a little study here tonight, and uh, I would love sometime to show you just some of the, uh, the emails that I get from different folks that listen to these services. And uh, we have, um, you know, it's an amazing amount of people who will stream, and then an amazing amount of people who uh, listen to archives, and, and uh, you know, it's a blessing uh, to many folks, and, and so we're, we're honored to be a part of that, and we look at that as kind of a bit of an outreach as well from, from our assembly. Good to have Ben and Rachel here tonight, family, God bless you, and uh, so it's, it's just an honor to be able to do that, and in the days that we live in where we have sparse population in the sanctuary, uh, we still are ministering to lots and lots of people. So uh, every service, to me, every service is special because we know that, uh, that things can change very quickly in our time. Things can change very quickly. So we want to make the most of every service and pull in and uh, get the most out of it. You should be sitting there saying, Lord, there may only be a line or two in this whole service for me. Help me get it. Help me get it. Help me embrace it. And help me be able to say it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. And that's the way we should come. And your level of expectation really makes a difference. It's amazing the people who are, you know, texting by phone and uh, communicating that way. It's still, you can have a service in, in my office at home, and it's just almost the same uh, atmosphere as what you have here. And uh, we, we appreciate that very much. All right. <clears throat> now, uh, just a couple of screens on review. Most of you have been here except... Uh, Emmanuel here, uh, been, been following along uh, on the services here and uh, when, when it comes to dealing with kings. And we're looking at uh, this whole idea of the character of kings, and uh, we'll look at the reason why. 
In Psalm 93, verse 1, uh, David wrote, The Lord reigneth, he is clothed with majesty, and the Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself. The world also is established that it cannot be moved. That's the physical globe of the earth. God refers to himself, he describes himself, and the Bible characterizes him as a king. And so uh, we we look at some of the statements that, that describe his reign or his kingship, if you like. And they're, they're impressive. They are, uh, they're strong whenever he talks about his place and his role as a king. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. Their floods lift up their waves. But the Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Our God reigns over all of it, doesn't he? I was going to say, Brother Ron, it's good to have you here. Brother Ron's been uh, not feeling well over the last little while, but great to have him here uh, tonight. Thy testimonies are very sure, and holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. And so this is the way David uh, describes uh, God the King, God the Father, and uh, describes him in that way. Now, we know that uh, in 1956, and this is one that I've read to you the last couple of services, that gifts and callings are without repentance. The role that you are to play on this earth is given to you without you ever asking. You never had a vote. You never had a choice. God, all through the ages, has been represented on the earth through his prophets, through his kings, and it's always been the spirit of God. When it operates right, and a man in his role, whether it's a prophet or a king or even a believer, they, they reflect God and they bring honor to God when the spirit of God is able to move through them. The key is to be in your channel. The key is to be in your place. And we look at godly kings. Godly kings generally serve 40 years or more. And uh, when, they, when they were in their place, in their channel, stayed in their place, God got the glory. God got the honor. And the other nations round about, they looked at Israel and they saw what a great God they must serve because of the way the kings conducted themselves. Like when the Queen of Sheba came to see Solomon, she saw greatness, and she saw glory, and she saw honor, but not, not to Solomon, to the God of Solomon, and the God of these people. And uh, she was just impressed to where she couldn't even, you know, come up with the words to describe how impressive this all was. But that wasn't the people, and that wasn't Moses, that was God among them. And so God gets glory when people are in their place and in their role. And there's, there's something in that for us, that in the last day, the temptation is to go all over the place. But, uh, you know, to be pulled out of position, to be dragged down, to be pushed around, be intimidated. You know, all kinds of things happen. Things happen in the world you have no control about. Things happen in your own life that you can't figure out. And, and there's all kinds of things that are going on. But the, the thing that uh, I find consistent in the teaching of the Word of God is that God wants us just to stay in our place. Put down your, your roots where you're supposed to put them down and just watch God bring the growth in your life. And if we had the time tonight to go down like Joseph and dig out all those nuggets and polish them up, it may look like Joseph was tossed about and wandered about all over the place, but he really stayed in the will of God all of his life, didn't he? All of his life he stayed in the will of God. He was in his hometown, then he was in the prison, or he's in the Potiphar's house, and he's in the prison, and he's in Pharaoh's court, uh, and, and all the other places that, that Joseph was, but he was in the will of God. It does not necessarily mean that you had to be in the same pew until you're dead. It means, rather, that you're in the place God's chosen for you and ordained for you until you're dead or changed. Are we okay? The position is not the physical spot. The position is your role in God fulfilled. 
That's the difference, and that's where God wants you to be. So when we look at Joseph, you know, God got honor through all of what Joseph did, even though Joseph served God in different capacities in different places. But he was still in the place that God wanted him to be. And so that's one of the key things that we learned from this little series here. Now, we, uh, we also read this in 1961, the Messiah. God called us and we become kings and priests unto God. Like Jesus was God's high priest. How many believe he still is God's high priest? And he says, we become a lesser priest. So we have the right of intercession. We have the right to pray. Isn't that true? We have the right to preach the gospel. We have all of those things. We're just not what Jesus was when he was on the earth, because all God was was poured into him, and the Spirit of God was on him without limitation. And we are not, say, like Martin Luther or John Wesley. We're not in the capacity of those men of God uh, as messengers and the Apostle Paul and, uh, you know, the, the different roles that they played. They were unique. They were specially chosen for their job that they did. But yet we have a priesthood and we have a position. We are to do that. Whether you're a housewife, whether you're a helpmate, whether you're a minister, whatever you're called to do, God's got a place for you. And in that role, we have a right to intercede. We have a right uh, to take back what's been stolen from us. Like I said on Sunday, we have a right to claim our joy back. We have a right to claim our healing back. We have a right to claim everything Satan's stolen because we are possessors according to the laws of God. So God in his fullness dwelt in him to shine forth the expression of God to the world. God in fullness dwelt in him, capital H, to shine forth the expression of God to the world. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. We know that. As God was in Christ reconciling, God comes into his church and anoints her, the Messiah, same power he had is in his church. Now it's a many-membered body, but it's the same power. Are we okay? And his church becomes his dominion, and he's king over this dominion. And we are kings and priests offering spiritual sacrifices to God, the fruit of our lips, giving praise to his name. So the, it's, a, it's a continuum. It's the same, uh, same process. He's just using different vessels now. So as I mentioned last Wednesday night as well, when the children of Israel were moving about uh, in, their, uh, in their travels, and they also were moving around about for the last 2,000 years, uh, God never worried about their, uh, God never worried about their relationship with Him because they were always the people of God. They were always the people called the Jews. Even though they never necessarily had a nation or were in a nation, they were no less the people of God just because they didn't have a physical territory. You can be a people of God without having a territory, right? The Jews are the best example. We're the second best. In the earth, we're the second best. We are a people without a nation. Imagine what it would be like if we all went to live in the same nation. It would last about a week or two maybe. and uh, That would be about it. I want to preach. No, I want to preach. My wife's going to play the piano. Imagine what it would be like. you know. But anyway, nonetheless. <coughs> We are a people without a nation. So we are a people without a flag, in a sense. We are a people without a government. But we are very much unified. We're very much led by the same uh, controlling influence in our life, which is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit deals with us commonly uh, and internationally and supernaturally all over the world. I think it's an exciting thing that we can have such unity and continuity all over the world 
and never having even met the people that you're like in other parts of the world. I'll guarantee you, we, uh, you know, there are believers that live in Malaysia and Africa and India and all different places that you've never met. And if you go there, you went to minister there, you could get up and preach the same things that are being preached right here and the people would respond the same way. I'll tell you why. Because they're all born by the same Holy Spirit. They believe the same message that God sent. And they're quickened by the same Holy Spirit you are. It's not something foreign or different. It's exactly the same. If you went to Pakistan with Brother Anwar, which I wouldn't advise, but if you went to Pakistan with Brother Anwar, you would, uh, you know, be completely different in terms of worship and uh, the structure of the service and all of that, but you'd feel right at home. It's amazing. You'd feel right at home. Uh, just because it's the same Holy Spirit. So the, God led the people of the Jews. They were never a nation. They were just a people. And they never was organi- an organized church. They were just a church called out. There never was an organization among the Jews. They were always led by God. That's the thing they had in common was the leadership of God. They had a pillar of fire. They had a cloud. They had, uh, you know, the promises that were given to the prophets over the years. Then politically, nationally, they wanted to have a king. God gave them a king. Never did work. God's their king, God's our king, God's the king of the church. But God had in mind kings, and we know that's true. And God had a man like David after his own heart, and eventually David would have come upon the earth and demonstrated the qualities of a king that God had chosen. And uh, Saul was the people's choice, David was God's choice. So we would have come to that. But very, uh, very typically, men get out of sync with God. Tonight we want to talk about King Asa, and he's a great guy. Uh, he was, uh, he was known one of the things that, uh, there was uh, hardly any photographs taken back in his day, but this is a drawing of him destroying idols in the temple. And this is one of the first things that Asa did, and he became well known for that. His reign is dated between these years right here, and don't be confused, even though it is confusing, but that's when roughly his reign uh, existed. He was the great-great-grandson of David, the great-grandson of Solomon. Therefore, he was the grandson of Rehoboam. He's also the father of Jehoshaphat. He come from good stock. He was a good person. He had good example. He knew uh, from listening to, you know, the stories of his uh, great-grandfather and uh, all the different uh, ones that preceded him, uh, how God dealt with them in their glory days. He was not that far away from that era. And uh, he uh, accomplished some great things in his day. But he's also a personality that we want to study for a minute. We want to look at and learn a few lessons from. All right? Now, Brother Branham says this about Micah. And I'm going to throw this in early in the game here so you don't get funny thoughts in your mind. In the Micah the prophet sermon, Brother Branham said, In this we find that there was a king in Israel at this time by the name of Ahab. And he was the king of Israel at the same time Jehoshaphat was king of Judah. And Jehoshaphat was a righteous man, a God-fearing man. And his father Asa before him was a God-fearing man. I believe we'll see Asa in heaven. Now that's my judgment. But we find that Ahab was kind of what we call a borderline believer. Anyway, the winds blow why it took Ahab. Now, I'm not going to make a judgment on Ahab. But I think with Asa, I think we'd be pretty safe in saying he'll be over on the other side. Just to give you the perspective of where he fits in the time frame, uh, and I, I think I have this. That works? Yeah. Asa is found over here. Sorry for the blur, uh, if you can't see it really. This is the 
time frame for Asa uh, coming down to the kings that, that existed. And this is over here where the Babylonians uh, sacked Jerusalem and exiled the leaders in 587 B.C. We're familiar with that timeline. But this is where Asa was before all that happened. So David and Solomon were right here, okay, on this brick right here. That's where David and Solomon were. But just to give you the just to give you the perspective of where uh, where they are in this timeline, and I'm a I'm a timeline kind of a guy. The second thing that I want you to know is I want you to have that quote about um, about Asa right here, which we read. But I want you to have this perspective as well: that the stories in the Old Testament are not just there uh, for contrast; they're not just there for filler; they are there to teach us things. Like Paul writes, all those things happen. All these things happen unto them for examples. We who are alive and remain need to learn from the people that have gone before us. If we don't know our history, we're going to be doomed to repeat it. And, and I will tell you, that's, that's good for more even than just Bible history. Those things are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Because it's very easy to get into a mindset, well, you know what, God won't be upset if I do this, and I don't need to listen to the Word of God on that issue or that particular one. I think I've been around long enough, and I think I can handle it. Then some of the examples in the Old Testament teach us better than that. They teach us, our, they teach us to think better than that. How many would say amen? Because there are people who get acquainted with the law or feel like they have some seniority with God that exempts them from the rules and the guidelines and the principles that God's laid down. And that's a dangerous way to think because you're eventually going to hit on something or you're going to miss something that God wants you to do and wants everyone to do and he'll correct you and he'll stop you. And when God does that, you're better off not having that experience. We're better off having somebody who teaches you up front. And then at least you got a sense of, you know what, the Holy Spirit's got something in your life that he can tap on your shoulder and say, remember that? That's in the Bible. That attitude was in the Bible. Or that issue was in the Bible. And, and it, that's why all of these things that happen unto them, they are examples for us. They are teaching aids for us. And it's important for us to take note. Okay? So I wanted you to leave, I wanted to leave you with those two things, because there's some things in here that are said about Asa and uh, the kings of that time. And listen, let me tell you, some of them lived a rough life. And there are, there are lessons for all of us to learn in here. And certainly in the life of Asa, we can see some very interesting things. All right. Now, the time that we're talking about in, in Israel, in the Old Testament here, and this is Brother Branham describing this in the message, Father, the hour has come. This time in the Old Testament was a very shaky time. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. This is when Israel split, just split, into two kingdoms. We have Judah and we have Israel. There are two kingdoms, two tribes that are in the kingdom of Judah, and the other ten are in the tribe of Israel. And God said God left it that way because he always wanted to have a tribe associated with David and his tribe, Judah and Benjamin. And so, therefore, the other ten are over here, and they're being ruled by a different king. This time in the Old Testament, it was very shaky, and Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. And Ahab was the king of Israel at the time. They had been divided. And any time that we are divided, we can look for 
trouble. We must be united, and then we will stand. If you want to stand strong, we have to stand united. We'll never stand strong or accomplish anything for God. I just wanted to do that. Sorry, I I just... Jason Watkins, eat your heart out. That's what I say. If he can preach with a pen, I can too. If you want to accomplish anything for God, if we as a church want to accomplish anything for God, we've got to pull together on the same end of the rope. In a, in a marriage, you have to be pulling together to accomplish anything. Because when you're divided and you're going in two different directions, then what Brother Branham says, we can look for trouble. And you can see that, you know, when nations do that, I mean, look around. In our nation, look around. you got a nation pulling in two different directions. Recently, my wife and I were talking about, you know, she studies history and, and uh, teaches it. And we were talking about the, the political, uh, the election cycles prior to the Civil War. And the, you know, the division in thinking and the way that uh, we inevitably got to the Civil War. The Civil War just didn't happen overnight. It happened because people pulled apart and they, they thought differently about things. Very interesting uh, discussion. And so Brother Branham's telling us that in Israel here you have a nation divided already and God allowed this to happen. And as a result of that, you have a certain amount of strife that exists when they get up out of bed in the morning. They don't have to have a war. They don't have to have trouble or strife. But there's a division because, you know what, you're in that tribe and I'm in this tribe over here. It's just like when uh, Moses or Joshua placed the children of Israel in the promised land. You remember that? And Reuben and Manasseh, Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh stayed on the other side of the river. And, and you know, the children of Israel look at this and they say, hey, let's get our swords. Let's get our guns. Let's go. We're going to take care of these guys. Because that rep- to, me, that, to them, that represented division. And they said, this is not going to work. God placed us in the promised land. They said, hey, relax. If we have a war, we'll fight with you. If we have a need, we'll, be, we'll cross the river. But this is a better grazing land for our flocks and so forth. And they decide to stay over there. It didn't really work. But nonetheless, they, they, the children of Israel's response was, is that division is not the will of God. To be divided on things is not the will of God when, it should, when there should be harmony and unity there. Jehoshaphat was a righteous man, a good man. He had some good, good bringing up. A lot of examples as we've had today. He's seen his father Asa, how that when Asa served the Lord, then God was with him. And Jehoshaphat watched that as a young boy. But when Asa failed to serve the Lord and got stubborn, then God departed from him. And this is the interesting part about Asa, because he lived in those two, uh, two ways. No matter how well the Lord loves us and how well you love the Lord, when you depart from serving and worshiping the Lord, then just remember you can look for trouble to start in. What brings trouble into your life? Well, division does. We've read that. And when you depart or you fail 
to serve and worship God, and you can look for trouble to start in. Now, to me, I got enough trouble just living in this world. I got enough trouble. I don't want to forsake serving God. I often pray, Lord, help me serve you your way. I often mouth those words. Help me to serve you your way. Because your way is always best. Your way is higher than my way. And I'm going to accomplish the most when I serve you your way. I need to know that. And when I know that, then I can accomplish something. And we also, too, need to remember that when we depart from worshiping the Lord, it's easy, it's easy, even when God, uh, you know, leans on you to do a certain thing or, uh, you know, there's certain changes in your life or changes in your church or whatever else, uh, we can complain about things rather than worship. Worship is always in season. Worship is, is always politically and spiritually correct. It's always good to, re, to rejoice, to worship. That's why Paul says we should rejoice evermore. I think I mentioned it on Sunday. And so you can never lose sight. You should never lose touch with this idea of a continual intimacy with God and, you know, a continual prayer and a song on your lips or whatever else. Hey, listen, that's much easier said than done, but it's important nonetheless. Because we are put here on this earth, not to defeat the devil and, uh, you know, to die on the cross. That's not our role. We're here to worship our creator. We're here to worship the Lord. That's why we come to church formally, is to worship the Lord. Those are all good things. Because God told David one time, thou art a man after my own heart. And when David did wrong, uh, David had to reap what he sowed. And he's never told us, and, and he's never told us that we were after his own heart. So we'll surely have to reap what we sow. If God did that with a man like David, then certainly God will allow us to reap what we sow. So it's a very important thing for us to be mindful of that. Okay, I I just, I love this quote. I I think it's a great quote and uh, an important one here. Now, all right, so if you want to follow me in the book of Chronicles, I don't have all of these scripture verses here. Uh, they're just really good, and, and uh, I wanted you to read them in your Bible. I've been reading it all day. Second Corinthians chapter, Second Chronicles. If I say Corinthians, don't believe me tonight, okay? It's not Corinthians, it's Chronicles. Chapter 14, let's take a look. And this is verse 9. So when Asa heard the words that uh, the prophet Azariah told him, uh, he rejoiced at that. Because uh, if you look at the context where Asa's rejoicing in verse 8, it's that there is trouble all around him. Uh, in verse 4, when they are in trouble, they did turn to the Lord. And in, in, in these times in verse 5, uh, there was not peace to him. Verse 6, nation was destroyed of nations. Sounds like Luke 21. And, and this, is the, this is the background, if you like. But you know what Asa's happy about is that despite all those things that are exist in the world, God's with me. And if God's with me, I'm going to take courage in that. It does not matter what God's called you to do. If he's with you, hey, you, you're more than a conqueror through Christ. Right? Come on, folks. That's not just a nice saying. If, if, if God's in it, you're going to make it. That's why, you know, like uh, pastoring or, uh, you know, for me now, for me, he being here, um, 
I expect to be here until God's done with me. Not until the political winds blow strong against me. There is not enough political winds to blow strong enough to get me out of here. Don't, don't, don't misinterpret that. I'm not boasting at all. I'm not here by my own strength. I'm here because he's called me here. You had a say in that. But, but I'm here because he's placed me here. So there's no politics going to get me out. No church politics going to get me out of here. I'm here because, because he put me here. And if he put me here, you know what? I can always call on him in a time of trouble. I say, Lord, hey, hey, Lord, remember? I still have the votes in here in my office that you voted on uh, when we took the first vote here for the six-month thing, which, by the way, is still on because we never took a formal vote after that. Anyway, I have the ballots in my office that are still there. So if there's any doubt, I can bring them out and show you. But I will tell you what. If God is for us, who can be against us? It, look, it, it, that doesn't just apply to me. If you're a member of the Bride of Christ... There's no devil going to take that away from you. There's no government going to extract that from you. If God be with you, who can be against you? Death and peril and famine and sword and everything else. None of that. Hey, nothing separates us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. You know why? Because if God be for you, who can be against you? So you have a strength being in that place that God, uh, God has designed for you. And this is what I, Asa is saying. Hey, if I'm, if I'm the, you know, duly ordained to be the next king of Israel, and God is telling me through a prophet that he's with me, hey, I'm going to take courage in that. That's what verse 8 is all about. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers that were with them out of Ephraim, verse 9, and Manasseh, and out of Simeon. And they fell to him out of Israel in abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. And so they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. And they offered unto the Lord the same time the spoil which they had brought, 700 oxen, 7,000 sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord their God of their fathers with all their heart. And with all of their soul. That whosoever would not seek the Lord of God of Israel should be put to death. Whether small or great. Whether man or woman. And they swear to the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with cornets. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath for they had sworn with all their heart. And sought him with their whole desire, and he was found of them, and the Lord gave them rest round about. And also concerning Machah, the mother of Asa the king, he removed her from being queen, because she had made an idol in a grove, and Asa cut down her idol, stamped it, and burned it at the brook Kidron. <laughs> Don't you guys get any ideas about your mother. But uh, this is the kind of character that Asa was. Hey, if the word declares it, that's what we're going to do. That's the way that we're going to live. That's what we're going to perform. And then he says in 17, but the high places were not taken away out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was perfect in all of his days. Now, the high, just for a moment here, the high places were... Um, were, were literally that. They were, they were places of worship, and they usually are connected to idolatry, and they were usually connected to places up on top of a mountain. So the reason that we go up to Blowing Rock and the reason that we go up there in the fall especially is because the view is majestic. 
the, the view from there, we'll say, is better than the view down here. I don't think we'd have any argument on that. And so the, the, the heathens, their typical practice was is that they would build a nice sanctuary on top of the mountain where they had the beautiful view and the beautiful setting and the beautiful surroundings there. And the intent was that people would come to it because it was beautiful. And, and that's how they would attract a crowd to it. God is not found in that kind of beauty. Now, there were times when they built a temple on a hill. Okay, and even Jesus referred to a, you know, the, the temple on the hill and all the house on the hill and so forth. There's, there's nothing wrong with being on the hill. And if I could, I'd live up there rather than live down here. But nonetheless, the idea is that we are, we should be as the people of God attracted to Him because of His Word and who He is rather than the beauty of the church. And so many times when kings took over or prophets came in or, or you remember when Gideon came to power, they took all, they went to the high places and they tore things down and very often repeated in the Old Testament because that's what the people had gotten caught up in, what looks good, what feels good, where the crowd is, where they had the nicer temple. That's not what God wanted the people to actually be caught up with. You can see today, it's not much different, right? Now we don't have temples so much on a hill, but we have a temple where there's 100,000 people who go or 50,000 people who go and television cameras and they have, you know, Uber ministries and all the rest of it and it's glitzy and they got a guy on the roof with a two-way radio and he's saying, bus number 74, go ahead and take the south entrance here. Entrance number 74, 74, 74, and 12 buses coming in. And, you know, we say, wow, God must be with these guys. I mean, we don't have anybody on our roof Sunday morning. You're not coming here because there's a guy on the roof directing traffic, right? We come here for another reason, and that pleases God much more than to have the crowd and the money and the TV and all the rest of it. Hey, if you want to head, that's fine. But I will tell you something, that when, when these men of God came into a position, even if their mother owned the grove, they broke it down and jumped on it and turned it into ashes and dust. Because they knew this was not the thing that God was impressed with. This is not the way of worship for the people of God. Are we okay? And so this is the way that I, I, Asa was. This is, the, this is the attitude that he took. This is the uh, kind of practice that he had. And when they saw Asa coming, I mean, if there was somebody there who was not dedicated to the Lord, the Bible says that they put him to death. Didn't matter if it was a man, woman, or a child. They put him to death uh, because they wanted to make a point. First, Second Chronicles chapter fourteen, and Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord God. Watch why God blessed Asa. Why did God honor Asa? And why did God give him victory over his enemies and bring peace to the land of Israel? Asa, I'm in Second Chronicles chapter fourteen and verse two, and Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He did what was right in God's eyes before there was pressure. He did right in God's eyes before there was an enemy. He did right what was good in the eyes of God before they were under attack or had any pressure. He just did what was right in the eyes of God because he read it in the book. And I'll tell you what, that gets God's attention just about more than anything else. When you do things that are right just because it's written in the book. 
I, I, I use this example all the time. I remember when my brother Mark came into the message first and he had long hair, long flowing red curly locks down to his shoulders. And uh, when he came and got baptized first time, he said, I got to go find a barber shop. We all said to him, why, why, why you got to go find a barber shop? And he said, because it says so right here. And that really got our attention because he didn't say, uh, after this was after he visited the message church for the very first time, never stepped foot in a Protestant church all of his life. But all of a sudden he goes to this message church, comes back, now he wants to go cut his hair. We thought he was going to cut his hair because that's the way they did it. That's the way they looked. That's the way they dressed. And he wanted to conform to that dress code to be like them. And we thought naturally that's what he's going to say. But rather, he took out his Bible and he said, I got it written here somewhere. As we, we as Catholics, we didn't know what was Old Testament and New Testament. We didn't know there was actually two. And so he, got, he marked, had it marked and he showed us in the Bible. He says, it's not natural for a man to have long hair. And he says, that's why I'm going. To me, that's the right reason. Nobody's forcing him to do that. He's doing it simply because the book says so. He's doing it because there's no pressure, but because God's word declares it, that that's the way a believer lives. And he's got a revelation and a peace in his heart that God's word is right. That gets the attention of God more than anything else. And this is what Asa had. He did that which was right and good in the eyes of the Lord his God. And he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and broke down the images and cut down the groves. And he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. Not just to hear it, but to do it. And he also took away out of, out of the cities of Judah the high places and the images and the kingdom was quiet before him. So this was, this was Asa's... This is what drove him. This is what was impressive to him, was uh, to, to live this way and to act this way on the Word of God. And he encouraged other people to do it as well. God's view on the unity of his people is also summarized here in Second Chronicles 15 and verse 1 and verse 2. So if you don't mind, let's look at this again. Second Chronicles chapter 15, which we read. Now, in the sermon, Why, 1963, Brother Branham makes a simple statement here, and I want to just use this now for the next few minutes. The foundation of building, the foundation of anything, foundation for us as believers, just like it was supposed to be for Israel back there, is the Bible. It's God's Word. Are we okay? That's our one true foundation. That's the foundation that doesn't shift. The doctrine of the apostles and prophets and so forth of the Bible. The king... The king, Jeroboam's own stubborn way, he just didn't want to send down, send down there. It wasn't very popular. So Brother Ram's using Jeroboam here, which was uh, the, the, the king of the other ten tribes of Israel. And he was a stubborn man, and he just didn't want to send down there. It, it wasn't very popular. God's true way of living has never been popular. God's real true way of living has never been popular. It never will be popular. For the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to them that perish. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to them that believe. Now we find out here that the king was stubborn. This is Jeroboam he's talking about here. And even though God's word had said certain things, Jeroboam resisted that because it didn't fit with what he wanted. And he was willing to sacrifice the blessing of God on the rest of the ten tribes 
by not giving in to God's word. Giving in to God's word is the opposite of this stubbornness he's talking about. Now, let, let me just fill you in here. What Jeroboam wants to do is he figures out if all the people go to Jerusalem to worship and none of my ten tribes encompass Jerusalem, if all the people go to Israel, or Jerusalem once a year to worship and celebrate the Passover, you know what? They're going to see the greatness of Solomon's temple, and they're going to see all the pageantry of the uh, of the great uh, you know center of of Israel in, in Jerusalem, and march up on the hill, and they'll all be singing when they go in through the gates of God, and all the rest of it. And it is a fascinating, impressive place. Been there many times, and walked up through steps, and 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 came in, and just even standing at the wall, the base of the wall is is a very exciting thing to do because you know this is where they all stood and they all touched the same rocks and it's a great place. Those of you that have been there would agree. And Jeroboam says in his heart, my goodness, if the people go down there, they're going to get caught up with all of that again and they're going to say, my, why don't we just not have division in, in, these, in Israel? Let's all, let's all worship together. And uh, Jeroboam then figures, well, I won't be king anymore. I won't have a job. I won't have people who call me king anymore. And so he knows what the Word of God declares, but he's stubborn. He doesn't want to give in to that. So he makes, a, he makes an altar in Beersheba, and he makes an altar in Dan. And he says to the people, hey... I've given you two altars. They're closer in proximity now to your own houses. You don't need to go to Jerusalem at all. Just go to these altars here. Go to these church services and these revivals, and you'll be all right. And he's doing that, and we know the motive of that. The motive of that is so the people don't get let their hearts get caught up with the one true worship of the one true God again. And, and, and Jeroboam's resisting that because he's stubborn. Stubborn is connected with proud. He doesn't want to humble himself in the eyes of God. He certainly doesn't want to humble himself in the eyes of the people. But, you know, Brother Branham is telling us here that God's real true way of living has never been popular because it's never an easy thing really to humble yourself in the eyes of the people. And even in the eyes of God, it's not always a pleasant thing to do. And so this is Jeroboam's problem. Interesting. So, look at this with me. I'm over in 1 Kings here now. This is Kings and Chronicles. Both have a, a telling of the story of Asa. But we find this over here in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 22. This is now towards the end of his life. Chapter 15 is one worth reading. If you go home and you want to fill in some of the gaps with your kids there, this chapter 15 is a great story which you can... You can read. As a matter of fact, in verse 9, his, his life begins, his reign begins. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, the king of Israel, reigned Asa over Judah. So he's got two tribes there. 41 years he reigned in Jerusalem, signifying that he really, in actuality, was a godly king because he reigned over 40 years. And Asa 11 did that which is right in the sight of the Lord. And he took away the Sodomites out of the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. Just so there is no confusion. In the Hebrew language, a Sodomite in this case is a male temple prostitute. 
They were the lowest of the low. And this is the first thing that Asa actually does. He says, if there's anything that's got to go, this has got to go. And if it's the only one thing I do, this is what I'm going to do. And then it talks about in verse 13, his mother and so forth. And then as we go down through, and this is a short summary of his life, summary of his life we come down to a turning point. 16, and there was a war between Asa, Basha, the king of Israel, all their days. Now God honored, God honored Asa because Asa always turned to the Lord. He always sought the Lord when it came to battles and struggles. But when it came to this particular struggle, this is towards the end of his life, verse 21, it came to pass when Basha heard thereof that he left off the building of Ramah and dwelt in Terza. And then King Asa made a proclamation throughout all Judah. And none was exempted. The proclamation was that everybody had to serve in the army because there was a huge army that was coming against Israel. And so... It specifically says that when Asa made this proclamation that everybody had to serve, none was exempted. And they took away the stones of Ramah and the timber thereof and all the rest of it. Now, hold your finger there. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Just a little ways back. Deuteronomy. I want you to read this with me. Deuteronomy 20, verse 1. This is the law of warfare. Chapter 20, Deuteronomy, verse 1. And when thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, and seest horses and chariots and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. You remember, your strength is not in numbers. Your strength is derived from his presence. How much worry in our lives would, could be eliminated? How much frustration in our lives could be eliminated by simply memorizing that verse or that principle? And it doesn't matter how much opposition is lined up against you. It doesn't matter at all. When you look at us going forward as the bride, we have no political clout. We have no money. We have no you know, social significance in the world. We are really nothing. We are really an outcast. We're not even a denomination. We are essentially just a bunch of people. But we are virtually unstoppable because we have the presence of God with us. We are, we are as the Bible declares, an invincible army. So if God's leading you and the presence of God is with you, you have nothing to fear. Nothing. And that's the principle that God wanted Israel to understand. So when they were going into battle, there was an order. There was a way. There was a layout that God had in mind. And it said in verse 2, And it shall be when you are come nigh into the battle, the priest shall approach and speak unto the people, and they blow horns, and they're going to sing music, and the musicians will go before you, and so forth. But here are the exemptions. Verse 5, And the officers shall speak unto the people, saying, What man is there that hath built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. That word dedicate means to set in order. So it would be a terrible thing if a man in the first year of his marriage and he's got a new household and it's not set up. In other words, no one knows what they're supposed to be doing in that house. 
That man is actually exempted from the battle. And he goes back for a year to dedicate his house, set it in order. Then he comes back into the battle again. Verse 6. What man is he that hath planted a vineyard and hath not yet eaten of it? Let him also go and return unto his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man eat thereof. So when you planted a vineyard and you established a farm, this was the livelihood of your family and your people. Everyone depended on this. And so therefore let that man, he is exempted from battle. He actually goes back and hitches up the oxen and goes out and plows. Sets his farm in order and brings in a harvest. Seven, what man is there that hath betrothed a wife and hath not taken her? Let him go and return unto his house, lest he die in battle and another man take her. Another exemption. Verse 8, and the officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return unto his house, lest the brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. Do you understand now why David did what he did at Ziklag? When the men were faint-hearted. Do you remember that? They didn't want to go into the battle. And the people who went in the battle said, Hey, the spoil is ours. No, David said it's for everybody. Because there's an exemption here for those that are faint-hearted. They don't have to go into the battle. But they're still a part of the children of Israel, right? So these exemptions are put there by God. Go back now to 1 Kings chapter 15. And King Asa made a proclamation throughout all of Judah. None was exempted. And right there, something changes. Because now he's saying... My past victories mean that I've got kind of a, I don't know, I've got a seniority. I've got a favor with God. And I can change what I want. Let's see how God reacted to that, okay? Because you always got to watch how God reacts to stuff like this. 23. And the rest of all the acts of Asa and all his might and all that he did and the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Nevertheless, in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet. And Asa slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his stead in two years. He had a disease that could have been cured. It was not an impossible disease to cure. Stop eating lamb. And that would have done it. They had remedies for things like this. But Asa, he turns to the physicians and he doesn't turn to God. And as a result of that, he dies with a condition he never should have died from. Because you know why? He's got stubbornness is the characteristic that is taken over. Can I go a little further? Just for a few minutes. Here's what's interesting when you start to add this up. There are five kings here. I want you to take a look at it. Five men in the Old Testament here. Samson. Samson's, Samson's strength was his strength. But his strength went from him when he resisted God. Saul. He was head and shoulders above all the people. Guess what they did when Saul died? They cut his head off. 1 Samuel chapter 31. Absalom. One of the profound characteristics about Absalom was his hair. Guess what, Guess what got him killed in the end of his life? 
How about Zedekiah and his eyes, 2 Kings chapter 25, and they put out the eyes of Zedekiah and Asa and his feet in the time of your old age. He was diseased in his feet. I'm just saying. Is this important to God? Well, take a look at this. Deuteronomy 21. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him, he will not hearken unto them, then his father and mother uh, shall lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of the city, unto the gate of his place. And when they shall say unto the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious, and he will not obey our voice. You young men, listen up here. He is a glutton and a drunkard, and all the men of his city shall... Stone him with stones that he die. So shall thou put evil away from among you. And all Israel shall hear and fear. Is stubbornness important with God? If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, there comes a point where stubbornness will actually become so strong in some people that nothing gets through. Nothing gets through. And this actually, and I've mentioned this to you before, this really is an act of mercy on the part of God who doesn't leave the parents to have to deal with the death of their son, but it falls on the nation of Israel to exercise judgment and justice there. So he does not say, when you have a stubborn and rebellious son, that you shall pick up stones and stone him. It's all the men of the city shall do it. So the punishment actually shifts from the parents now at this point to the men of Israel and the people of Israel so that they're not saddled with the guilt of having to stone their own child. And this is actually an extension of God's mercy to that family, believe it or not. And this is a kind of a, 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 an interesting uh, way of looking at that, and it's a bigger discussion. And if any man have committed a sin worthy of death... And he to be put to death, and they, they hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, and so forth. This is the justice that God had. But one of the things that he clearly identifies with the penalty of death, without any exception here, there's no exceptions given to this at all, is this rebellious son that a parent will bring to him. Because rebellion is, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. It matters to God. If the man has a disease and the doctor has a cure for it, and the man lay on the doctor's doorstep, but if he refuses to take the medicine, he will die on the doorstep, you can't blame the doctor. But it isn't the doctor's fault. He's got the remedy, and the man's too stubborn to take it. So is it today. As many people die in the pew in their sins because they refuse to accept the medicine that God has for us, God's bomb in Gilead. They die in their sins because they refuse it, not because there isn't any there, but they just refuse to take it. And they have to take something false instead. And men and women refuse to take it. And they die in their church and sit and listen night after night, not because there's not grace and salvation, but because they refuse to receive it. What more can God do? But there's some people that have a stubborn way about them and they refuse the merciful hand of God that's extended to them. And there's really not much more that the doctor can do when that's done. Really not much more at all. We find this in lots of different places. Mark 3, and when they looked around, uh, when they looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, meaning they were like covered with calluses, 
that their mind had been blunted. He saith unto the man, stretch forth thine hand, and he stretched it forth, and his hand was restored as the other. That's the man with the withered hand that came to Jesus. And everybody's looking into whether he'd heal on the Sabbath day. Romans 11. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. You had to realize there's something bigger that's happening here than what you're aware of. And a lot of people just, you know, they just turn away from that. We find the same thing as rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Nineteen fifty-four. It's my last quote, last screen I want to give you. Would you all like to have a real Bible church? Let me ask you. Would you like to have a real Bible-believing church, characterized by the Bible, where all the, all the spiritual gifts are set in order, making every make it manifest exactly the way it should be? He says that you're going to have to sacrifice, not money. What? Some of your own ideas. You're going to have to sacrifice some time in prayer. You're going to have to sacrifice maybe a stubborn will to break down in humility. Because the whole Christian movement is based on sacrifice. He that will follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me daily. How often? Every day. You want to have a real Bible church? You want to have a real church where the Holy Spirit's free to move? He cannot move pushing against a stubborn spirit easily. If you have people that are dug in, I mean, listen, I preach in churches where people had a pet doctrine. Churches had a pet, churches have pet doctrines. Believe me, they have pet doctrines. And I preach in churches where I didn't push their button. I didn't tickle their pet doctrine. And they're just sitting there, no matter what, I, I mean, I could unscrew the stars with my preaching or, you know, spit lightning bolts out of my mouth. Wouldn't matter at all. Nobody reacted at all until I scratched their, their favorite doctrine. It is a terrible because they're willing to sit there and resist the blessings of God and resist the blessings of good preaching uh, because you're not going down their alleyway. You're not saying what they want to hear. You're not tickling their ears like the Bible says. And, and, and let me tell you, that's real. That's very real. Brother Branham's just simply asking a question here right back in 1954. Hey, if you want to have a real Bible church, you've got to come back to believing what the Bible says. You've got to come back to do that, and you're going to have to sacrifice your own ideas. Now listen, Brother Branham was among people who believed in the Trinity. Uh, they believed in uh, their own uh, understanding of church order. They believed in their own idea of salvation and the evidence of, the, of receiving the Holy Spirit. They were people who believed in what happened in the Garden of Eden and all the other things that they had, all the other ideas that they had that were implanted uh, in their hearts because they lived in a part light through the ages like everybody else. Here's a man who's come and he's got full light. He's got an open book that has a revelation of the truth that was denied or hidden all through the ages there. And Brother Bram saying, hey, this is, this is that, boys. This is the ministry that's going to bring the light that we need. And if you want to have a real Bible church, you're going to have to sacrifice some of your ideas and some of your doctrines and some of your teachings here and lay it down and let the Holy Spirit implant or sow the right things in your heart and watch what it'll bring forth. It'll bring forth the right things moving among you. It'll bring forth the right gifts operating. It'll bring forth the right spirit among you. It'll bring forth the right kind of faith. And after all, the right kind of faith is what you need in the end time. You don't need more numbers. You need more faith. You don't need more money. You need more faith. 
You don't need more better preachers. You need more faith in the last day. Because it's by faith that Enoch walked off the earth. And that's what you're going to have. How are you going to get that? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word. And guess what? The Word has arrived. The Word, the book is open. And now the truth is right in your midst there. But you're going to have to sacrifice something in order to embrace that. You're going to have to sacrifice the teachings of your denomination. You're going to have to sacrifice your stubborn way. Let me tell you, that admonition is still true. If you want the blessing of God in your life, you're going to have to sacrifice our own stubborn ways about things. Isn't that right? We're going to have to sacrifice our, you know, our position and our, our feeling. Well, you know, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to believe. This is the way I want to have it. And uh, this is my agenda. If I'm going to make a choice, whether it's your agenda or a Bible church, <laughs> I'm going to take the Bible church. Let's stand to our feet. I'll take the Bible church. Because you know what? I've got sacrificing to do too. And you've got sacrificing to do. And we all have sacrificing to do. And what you, the best thing can happen is when the Holy Spirit's got a freedom to move among us and remind us of what we need to lay down. To remind us of what we need to change. Remind us of what we might need to, you know, be a little softer on. We don't need to be soft on truth, but we need to be soft on the things of the world. We need to be soft on the social gospel. We need to be soft on, uh, you know, just coming to a church because it feels good, looks good, it's in a high place, it's a fancy church, and it has somebody on the roof with a two-way radio. We, We have to sacrifice some of that because we have to... We have a desire that's a greater desire for Bible church. People often ask me, what kind of church are you? You know, you're not a denomination. You say to them, you're not a denomination. No, I'm not a denomination. Well, what kind of church are you? Well, we're a Bible church. I tell them my wife's never cut her hair and we don't have a TV. And I always remember that one little boy visited our house with his parents and he walked into the family room and he said, what are you doing here? He looked around and no screen, right? What are you doing here? Goodness. What's the, what's the purpose of a room if it doesn't have a screen in it and a you know, set of spe- long speakers and a, and a black box on the floor? What's the good of that? You know, what do you do here? We're a Bible church. That means that we get our inspiration from the Word of God. And we believe that God has done great things in our last day. We believe we're living in a specific time that God uh, declared uh, in this last day. We believe that God sent a messenger with a very important message. And we believe that, uh, you know, there's going to be an end to all of this. We're a Bible church. And we found out we can be all of that without being a part of a denomination or part of an organization or part of some organized movement in the earth. We found out we can be a part of that by just being Christians. Huh. And people kind of don't know what to do with that, but you know what? That's all right. Sometimes you just want to say it in a way that makes them thirsty and say, well, what does it look like? Come and see. And that's a good thing for us to do. That's a good thing for us to do is invite people to come, or come and see and see what God's doing and see what's actually taking place. That's a good thing for us to do. But you know what gets in the way? What gets in the way is that stubbornness like Asa had and... Once he got that to that place where he's making a declaration to the people and saying, there's no, ex- no exemptions now. There's no exceptions here. Everybody's got to join the army. God says, all right. Two years later, he's dead. Because he can't move him. I trust that God will give us the kind of hearts he can always move. 
always impress his will on our hearts. And we're always open to that, always soft enough that God can speak to our hearts. I want to be that way. I don't know about you, I want to be that way. Think about his love. Think about his goodness. Think about his grace. Let's sing that tonight. Think about his love. Think about his goodness. Think about his grace. That's brought us close and I want your camera to be on me Jeremy if you don't mind <clears throat> and I want you just to take this just this personal moment with God and let the Holy Spirit just comb through your heart and life don't think national don't think bride don't think Israel think me my heart and just let him have a moment now 
And if there's an ounce of stubbornness there in your heart, if I've touched the nerve in any one of you tonight, I want you, my eyes are closed too, when we pray, I want you just to reach out to God. Brother Branham said, he said, you have to lay that at the altar. And he said, and just walk away. By faith, believe that God's got it. Just surrender it to him. Submit it to him. Heavenly Father, Lord, you know the hearts of your people now tonight. and Lord, you know the little areas in our life that sometimes just hold us back. And I'm praying in the name of Jesus Christ that you would break through in every life. Lord, you would help us to be our part in this Bible church. You would help us to play our part. And you would help us, Lord, to have the kind of an attitude that does not hold up the moving of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, you'd always be able to deal with us. You'd always be able to stir in our hearts. You'd always, Lord, be able to make us excited about what you have to say. Help us, I pray, tonight. And from this day forward, help us to serve you your way. Whatever way that is, Lord. But we know that like King Asa did, we know that we cannot change your word. So, Lord, help us to serve you your way. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your love is stronger, Lord, than anything that we could even imagine or think about. And I'd like to say, Lord, forgive us for the times when maybe we've pressed our desires ahead of yours. All of us are guilty of that. All of us are subject to that. So forgive us, Lord, I pray. Keep us always tender in your presence. Bring peace where it's needed. Bring healing where it's needed, Lord. May we always have a heart to invite you in. And may, Lord, like Asa did, May we strive to finish strong and not finish with a shadow, but to finish strong, to run the race and cross the finish line with pride and our heads held high. Lord, many of us who have served you many years, we want to do the right thing, the very last steps of the race. Have your way among us, Lord, I pray. Teach us your way. Show us, Lord, the best way, which is always your way. We'll give you thanks and praise in the name of Jesus for your glory. Deal with every heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. Consume me, Lord. I think it's C. We play that in.
Just sing it one more time. encourage you and say this, that the problems that uh, you know we face with the virus are still around, and even though we're kind of used to coming to church here, just want to remind you that we need to be diligent because we want to keep our doors open, and by God's grace, we've been able to do that. And um, just want to encourage you to you know, keep your distance and all the other things there. Sorry we have to do that, but we just want to keep our doors open. God bless you tonight. Sing it as you go. Consume me, Lord, with the fire of your spirit. Consume me, Lord, and make me fall down 